the minute that ChatGPT launched. Um, very, very quickly, I was one of those that said that, that this is a game changer, especially, especially when it comes to writing. Welcome to the show. This is the Bot Brothers AI for Educators. I'm Mike Pearson. And I'm Pat Burns. Today, we we already, before we started rolling uh, the, the show, um, we already started a conversation with Peter Picconi, um, who's a, an, another teacher. And we've had a couple of conversations already um, that just keep, just keep on going. Um, so we think you're in for something special, especially if you're an educator and you teach at the AP classes. Uh, Peter is a veteran social studies teacher. He's more a veteran than Pat and I. And I thought we were pretty veteran. He's got over 30 years at San Marino High School in California. Again, Pat, we've got more and more West Coast love than any other place, I think, in the United States on this show. Uh, he's a self-professed evangelist of College Board and AP Classroom. Um, he's most recently selected to be on the College Board's AI and AP Advisory Committees. And most recently, he started a position with Class Companion, which is an AI program that assists students by giving feedback on written assignments. And I know there's more to you, Peter, but if you are if you teach AP out there, if you teach AP A-Push or AP Euro, I'm assuming, or AP Lang or AP Lit, um, there has been a shift in the rubric over the past, I don't know how many years, six years, five years? And and there's there's a point called the sophistication point for AP Lang and AP Lit. And Peter was just kind of talking about that point. And I hate to ask you to restate it, Peter, but I think people would like to hear this that are in that area. Well, the sophistication point in AP Lang, the only, the only way I can speak to that is, uh, is that it's, it's similar in, in terms of the complexity point in A-Push, AP World, and AP Euro. It's also similar in the sense that, at least in, in, in the social studies, what, less than 5% earn it annually, and I think it's about the same number in, in Lang and, and Lit. Um, I'm not a fan of the complexity point as either it was being interpreted in the reading room in May uh, or mm -hmm. as, as the rubric itself was, was worded. And for two years, going over two years, I've been calling for a change to the complexity point rubric. So specifically as it relates to AP, a push world and Lang. Yes, yes, I very much wanna see uh, also a revision of the lit and Lang sophistication point rubric. But, but let me stay focused if I could, you know, on the, on the complexity point. What was my problem with it? Well, if it, it, less than 5% are, are earning the point, what are we measuring? Are we measuring the ability of, of students to write well? Or are we measuring their ability to think in a complex manner? Complex manner thinking, in my opinion, can be expressed in simple prose. I don't need to, to sound like, 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 like I've, I've, I've been born with the language and, and had the benefit of, of mm. great uh, writing teachers my entire life in order to show complex thinking. So mm -hmm. that was my argument. Um, let's, let's either score it differently in the reading room or better yet, let's change the rubric so, so that we can recognize complex, a demonstration of complex thought. And the big, big problem was initially, it had always been maintained, I think wrongly, that the complexity point to, to show that you're writing a complex argument, you need to weave it in throughout the essay, here, mm -hmm. there, back, forth, nuanced, mm -hmm. as opposed to, to being able to make an argument mm -hmm. and then simply at the very end in a standalone paragraph, uh, modify or qualify the argument. Mm 
I believe that's a, a demonstration of complex thinking, especially in a time writing, high stakes kind of testing situation. And College Board has responded. The, the, that's exactly what has happened now. There's, there's no mistake about it. They've made it very, very clear, and they're going to make it even more clear. There's videos on it. It made its way into the reader's report. I'm sure more will come. Um, we'll see if it increases that that 5% here uh, or if it's going to take a little bit of time. But I, I just believe that that there are way more kids in the world who can think about this subject matter in a complex fashion, but don't possess the writing skills to express it that way. Yeah, let me, um for people listening that may have not have been in an AP class in a long time or non-educators, um, for at least for AP Lang and AP Lit, there's a six point rubric and you get a point for having a thesis that's arguable and you get four points up to four points for what they call the evidence and commentary. So it's the, the evidence that you select, how good that evidence is. And then the commentary is what you say about that evidence. And the point that Peter, you're talking about is sophistication um, or, or in history, it was complexity. Is it, was that right. what it was? That's right. Yeah. So they call it a complexity like how point. We call that. it that's nice. Yeah. Um, so, so, and, and I think it's interesting that you said that complexity can be shown, you can have complex thoughts and simple language, but what the, the history courses are doing is like, it has to be woven through it to be a good writer. And that makes sense. Like you can have complex thoughts in, in any language, right? But even if you're just learning English, I think for the AP Lang and AP Lit people, part of that point, the sophistication point is, are you a sophisticated writer? Mm. And the weird be. part is, is that. I mean, there's plenty of writers that are sophisticated that use simple language, right? And simple sentence structures. But what tends to get rewarded is really kind of like almost like poetic type writing. Um, and then and then for the argument stuff or the rhetorical analysis stuff for AP Lang, it's really just having the kind of the contextual knowledge of like maybe you knew about Ronald Reagan and his politics. And then when you analyze his speech, you're able to kind of talk about that. And I'm going to go one more step further that Peter, if what you're saying is right, if there can just be a paragraph that kind of shows a counter or a rebuttal, like for AP Lang teachers, this can be super simple because we just show them like classical argument structure where it's embedded in, right? And then there's your sophistication, which is what ACT used to do years ago. It's like, if you could do that structure, you'd immediately get a higher score. Um, but that brings me to a larger point <laughs> that I think this what this show is about is, um, should there even be a sophistication point with if you can generate writing with AI? Well, we went there, didn't we? <laughs> we did go there. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're asking me, with AI, do I believe that in a course that I don't teach, Lang or Lit, that students should be rewarded uh, for the sophistication point? Or um, even the complexity point. Yeah. Yeah. Think just within your do domain. How do, how how do you see that working or not? The minute a the minute the ChatGPT launched, um, very very quickly, I was one of those that said that that this is a game changer. Yep. Especially especially when it comes to writing. Mm -hmm. Not that we're I hate to use this phrase, but not that we're going to throw out the baby with the bathwater here. Right. But but room new needs to be made room needs to be made for assessing students differently and and i believe one of the reasons the college board reached out to me and i'm certain of it one of the reasons they reached out to me is because i blogged and i spoke a lot blogging and speaking a lot about this change my my personal opinion is that, that we're going to have to decrease the emphasis that we place 
on the writing, on the production of the product, mm-hmm. because it can be done by AI. And, and to think that it can't, I, I just don't believe in the, the AI detectors. Um, no, they don't work. That you don't you believe that, right? They do well, not work. Do. Oh my gosh! One, you want to one perfect example? I actually used uh, Mike and I had talked about this before, but I had a uh, ChatGPT four make an essay, and I just did a standard sort of thing talking. I said, you know, include gas. We had to be about the American dream. Pretty basic stuff, and it kicked out an essay, and I sent it through one of these um, these detectors, and it said the entire thing was written by a human. One hundred percent. And it was one of these um, ones that I mean, the, the, it was I'm not going to say which one, but but it was one that's been touted in the New York Times. And I'm like, this is nonsense. I'm like, I can't I literally cannot trust it because it's so incre- it can be so incredibly wrong yeah. um, that I don't want to bust a kid for plagiarizing when he maybe he didn't. Um, that's a serious problem, you know. Um, so, yeah, I got a I got a, a parallel story that last spring, like my AP kids, we were full on using every AI thing we could get our hands on. Uh, chat gpt wasn't blocked when we were trying to see what, what we could do with them and so I, I told the kids i'm like go ahead and you use chat gpt but then can you go through your essay and mark what what is you and what is not you and our discussion was real and intel- real intelligence ri versus ai right mm-hmm. and so some quid some kids quickly figured out that at that time that they could do better writing more efficiently than having chat gpt do it and other kids like really enjoyed trying to see what the program could do but one student in particular, you know, did he, there was no penalty for using AI. And so he, he, on a Google doc, he commented throughout his essay, this is me, this is, this is all AI, this is a mix. So I could, I could see what he was doing. Um, and then, and then the AI detectors came out and I ran it through one of them and it flagged a bunch of stuff. And I looked at it and I looked at his commentary and it was different. And so, and so I had the kid come in. I was like, you're not in trouble. Like, come, like, check this out. Right. And we both looked at it and he was like, well, that's not right. Because this is the part that was changed GPT as he knew. I'm like, and I go, so what do you make of this? He goes, well, that's not very useful, is it? Mm. I said, no, it's not. Well, well, <clears throat> yeah. So I'm tempted to, I'll, I can finish off my thought, but I'm tempted to ask is you guys as English teachers are, are, how are you dealing with it? I mean, are, is it all being handwritten in class? Are you nope. are not assigning any work that they can use the AI for? I imagine um, we have different answers. I'll let Mike go first on that one, though. Yeah, I've got. So last year with the AP kids, we just jumped in and we just played with it. Like we made, it was fun because we got done with like all of the novels and stuff. And I'm, I'm one of the rare AP language teachers that does novels. I do fiction because you can, I, I've been de- teaching AP language. It doesn't really matter. Um. But they, they they did all this stuff. The second semester is like all argument where they they were generating different characters from different stories, meeting up like through social media. So they were using like fake Instagram generators and fake Twitter feeds and making videos and this whole project that they were having to take the thematic ideas and push the characters against each other. So that was a blast. And then this year, um, I traditionally have my um, my AP Lane kids write uh, satire because they're they're they seem easy, but they're wicked hard. And this year, I'm like, man, ChatGPT can do these things. Um, and so I, I I opened it up and I said, you can use any tool. I gave him a list of every possible tool out there. Um, and then part of it is like the produ- and, I, and I started thinking about. Um, I went back looked at the Common Core standards, and I was like, maybe we're just we're not doing the writing stuff so much. Maybe we're just doing the production of writing. I looked at that standard and that didn't fit. And then I thought, well, what happens if a kid just has 
chat GPT make a satire? They still have to decide how good it is, yeah. right? They have to determine its output and they have to tweak it. And so I was like, you can use, you can use chat GPT and you can have it write a satire. But then the second component is that they have to explain to me what they learned. Exactly. Right. So like I gave them a prompt. So it's a two part thing. They get like, you know, half the credit is for, is for how good the satire is. And it can be a video. It can be an ad. It can be a, a, an onion piece. It can be like a modest proposal, like whatever they want. And then they have to turn around and explain to me you know, in bullet points or real fast, here's what I learned. And what that stops is like the student that just does a real you know, a 10 second prompt and, and hands it in because what did you learn? Hmm. Nothing. Yeah. Right. And then it also allows the kids to, to experiment. So I, I'm handling it that way. And then with my sophomores and that class, they have to, I, I, I've been talking to them about how all these kids are getting accused of, of using AI. And I go, you, you are now probably in, in a world for the next five years until you graduate from college where you're, the burden of proof is on you to prove that you did your stuff. So I give them a Google Doc. They make a copy of it with the directions in it. Mm. And then they do their entire essay in that Google Doc. And I have editing rights. So we, and I, I go, so I can see your revision history. Um, and then we can use draft back. I can see you type it if we have to. And then they have to um, start one chat GPT thread for the assignment so they can share the entire thread. Um, I'm not going to look at all this stuff. And then they have to do like a, a AI resource, like kind of like that footnotes sometimes are dependent on the class. And, and really, it, I, I tell them it's because and you should just get in this habit, because if some professor or teacher, you know, accuses you, you can say, here is everything I did. Yeah. Here's how I produce this thing. So that's how I'm handling it. Um, and then uh, the kids are kind of responding to that. Well, you know, um, and then Pat, you want to go ahead with what you're doing? Oh, I just I just play movies all day. That's all that I do. <laughs> uh, no. um, well, what Mike's talking about, um, I, I love actually kind of the approach in terms of like really emphasizing process. And, and Mike has his own approach to that, to kind of verifying that. And for me, it's not necessarily specifically with AP Lang, but it's just with um, all my courses. And I guess I'll use my senior, I have a senior rhetoric course. Um, and we were uh, just recently wrapping up a, a, um, a persuasive research essay. And in the past, I mean, I've, I've had my checkpoints and have people or students turn things in on certain, with certain deadlines, what have you, to kind of guide them along the way. And I've always liked that assignment because it just kind of, it, it shows them how to, you know, go through the research process and develop, you know, drafts and, and revisions and what have you, and synthesize materials and what have you. But I think the big shift for me this year, knowing that AI is out there, is letting them, one, use it. So if they wanted to use it to for um, getting ideas, brainstorm ideas, um, but also even helping with like outlining, just giving a skeleton, that's fine. Um, but but I wanted to uh, basically focus on grading their process. So it's not that the product doesn't, their final paper doesn't have value, it does. Um, I'm not trying to strip that away entirely. There's gotta be some value to it or else I think they just won't buy in as much. But I'm really reinforcing the idea of saying, well, along the way, let's look at these steps. Let's think about like how you're going about generating this information. And I, I don't go to the extent that Mike does, although I like his, I like the way he's approaching things. Cause I think that that level of, um, I guess, uh, attention to that process is probably needed on some level. Uh, but, but I really want to give value to, well, and give credit for the steps along the way and let those be just as important, if not even more so than the actual end product. And it's taking some time for the students to kind of, or it has taken some time for the students to wrap their heads around that. 
because we're I think just by virtue of just our, our system, yes. students are always focused on the on the grade. And I'm like, well, that's all fine and well, but I know that you talk to most teachers and the grade we generally don't care, at least in our school, school, the teachers I've talked to generally don't care so much about what the student's grade is. They're more interested in like, well, do you understand how to get from A to B, right? Or A to Z. Um, and, and can you sh demonstrate that? Because that's going to be much more important for you long-term than any individual grade that, that I might, you know, uh, that, that you might quote unquote earn. Um, so for me, it's all about process and trying to build assignments where um, I can evaluate that. Uh, more than anything else. Um, so uh, I'm in oh. the same kind of place. Uh, I mean, in a push, I've got to teach them how to write for the test. Okay. But right. when it comes, when it comes to work, additional kind of work, um, I'm going to be grading them on their ability to answer questions as it relates to whatever they've produced. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if it is a paper, um, I, I'm going to de-emphasize the grade that I place on the paper because I know that the paper has in large part been produced with the help of AI, and I'm not sure how to grade that anyway. But I do mm -hmm. want them to be able to answer what I call uh, logically anticipatable questions mm -hmm. that flow from that paper. I want them to demonstrate to me that they know the content mm -hmm. uh, 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 that, that's, that, that they're putting forth in the paper and, and, and can answer any other logical question that comes from, from that paper. If they say, if their paper is on, say, for example, the, um, the effect of the Spanish mission system on the Native Americans who live 22, 22 miles off the California coast on Catalina Island, um, if that's their paper, and they say to me in the paper, hey, they, they, they use the abalone, and they leave it at that. Well, then I'm going to ask them one of the most logical questions in the world is what did they use the abalone for? And the minute they give me that question, well, okay, there's got to be a logical question that flows from that. Let me ask you that. And, and, and to see how, how far they took that down. Like, to what extent did they really understand what they're putting forward in the paper? Do you, do you ask a more basic question too? Like, what is an abalone? I don't even know. <laughs> how about, yeah, I'm sure. That's a great, absolutely. I like I thinking, like, I need to look that up. Yeah. I feel stupid yeah. all of a sudden. <laughs> in fact, I'm playing around a little bit. I mean, imagine if a, if a, if a uh, AI could produce those questions. And right. could give you an entire bank of questions. Right. That well, you so then could give the student with a with a lockdown browser in a in a in a, in a testing like situation. So now we can also measure their ability to express that in writing. Yeah, we're I've been thinking about that quite a bit because there's like the the personalized GPTs that, that mm -hmm. I've written a bunch of those, but I can't do anything with them because the kids don't have the paid version. Right, and then Pat and I both use. Uh, we had a, a founder on on the show, um, Eric Keen, that does uh, my essay feedback, where you can. It's a it's it's a system that the kids submit their work. It's all privacy protected, and then you can build the prompt, and so the kids get very specific feedback. Um, and so you can kind of you can kind of like kind of put your brain into the into a prompt, and then it gives its feedback. And so I, I keep on thinking like what, what you said, Peter, is like at some point there's going to be a lockdown, something or other, where we're going to attempt to try to figure out what, what do you actually know, right? And then with uh, some of the AP kids, like the, like the, the GPTs and even just using the, them learning how to prompt chat GPT, like you can become a better writer by having it tutor you. Absolutely. But at some point you got to show us that you can do it, you know, yeah. and I don't want to be like, let's write this by hand. But, you know, I had a, I had a, a junior this year that we were using my essay feedback and he gave her a suggestion for, I think I wrote, I think I wrote a prompt that was going to work on their syntax and style and using M dashes and different types of sentences. 
And so it said it offered it offered one up because she asked it and she, and she put it in her paper and she and this was her struggle. She's like, it's good. It works. But I don't know if it works better than what I had. Mm. And I was like, that is a great question. Let me uh, let me let me respond to that by saying this, first of all, the what you just described, the the the, the creation of a GBT that that your students can't use because they don't have the paid version. So are you both members of, of uh, ChatGPT for Teachers, the Facebook group, by any chance? Um, maybe I joined a bunch of groups. There's yeah. A bunch of them there. Chat, wait, hold on. Actually, I think we are. Yeah, ChatGPT. Yeah, we're in there. Yep. Okay. So I'm a member, and I, I post there a lot, and I comment there a lot. I, it's so funny you should mention that, because I just had my science teacher come in here an hour ago mm-hmm. and say, hey, I've got this problem. I created this thing. My kids can't use it. Do you know of a workaround? And mm-hmm. I said, no, I don't. I've been thinking about it. But I tell you what, if I have your permission, I'll put it up on the page tonight. So that's the first thing I'm going to do. I'm going to see if some of those really bright guys up there, you'll recognize their names, um, you know, if they can help us figure out how we can uh, work this problem, so to speak. That, that yeah, was going to be the first the thing. school districts will buy an enterprise license, that's a big if. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Then, then we're in. And then, then you have the disparity between like the affluent districts that buy right. the enterprise mm-hmm. license. And, yeah. Um, but yeah. but but to Mike's point that that particular um, I guess app, if you will, um, is incredibly useful because it does guide students, and you can provide, you can set it up so you can ask, you can force it to ask follow-up questions to the students. You can ask it to make the students uh, create a revision plan, yep. um, and it and it really it, so it works like a tutor, a writing tutor might, right? Um, uh, but but I think that there's and and I think Mike and I were talking about this the other day. There's always going to be the issue of like. That's all fine and well for the students who are going to buy in and try to actually like work it. But then what do you do about motivation? Right. How do you how right. do you encourage students to actually want to use it and then use it effectively uh, and, and just to care in the first place? That, that's a whole nother conversation. But, you know, AI obviously doesn't necessarily solve that for, for a good number of students. So that's still a, a nut to crack sometimes. Well, let, let's go this way with it. Have either one of you tried writing a book or a play or some significant with with ChatGPT? Yeah. So what I did last semester um, in, in May, uh, I realized I was going to have a, about two to three weeks to kind of play with with my uh, regular junior level English course. And because we were wrapping up stuff, I was just a little sooner than I anticipated. But I went ahead and, and I tested it this myself. And I said, I asked it, this is working off of, actually, I think I was working off of ChatGPT 3, 5, because even though I had four, I knew my students would only have access to three. So I went ahead and just asked it to write a play, like a five-act play, and uh, and I gave it some parameters. I, I you know said we'll put it in Chicago and, and include some of these other details, and and I had that prompt and it kicked it out, but it only put out so much because of just the tokens, what have you. So, um, and so I just asked it to break it down by act. I said, well, write me the first act, and it did that. And I said, okay, write me the second, and I just cobbled it together and I had a play, um, and it worked. It was gen- it was it was okay. It was cliche. Uh, but the, some of the dialogue was pretty decent. And in terms of, I think it's style and its voice is actually pretty decent. Um, what I then had students do is I used that as a model for the students. And then I had the students cr- like go in and do it themselves on their own terms. And there were parameters that were kind of tied to things that we covered in like thematically in class. Um, and then they had to actually then perform them uh, or, or actually they had to, they had to have uh, ChatGPT write it and they had to adjust or tweak it as necessary. And then they had to perform it. Um, and what they all said was similar to what I was just saying, which is like, they said, well, it's okay, but they wanted to have more time to 
try to um, uh, adjust it and, and re-edit or re mm -hmm. revise it, which I thought was fair because it was only, it was somewhat rudimentary. I, I bet four could do a little bit better, but even still, um, you know, and, and there's, uh, I, there, there's some nuance and maybe just some, some voice that's kind of lost because it's just, you know, obviously kind of working off probabilities, but, but it wasn't bad at all. It wasn't terrible. It just wasn't, you know, particularly uh, jaw dropping or, I mean, it wasn't Hamilton, I guess is what I'm trying to say, but, but, you know, then again, here a few, thing, few things are, and if we're thinking about what high school students tend to produce, I'm like, it's kind of on par, to be honest. You know, I, I looked at my old poems from when I was in high school. I'm like, that's what I wrote. And I thought I was brilliant. You know, like, no, it's fine. <laughs> you know? So, but yeah, it's, it's workable. Um, why do you ask? Well, because we, we were kind of talking about motivation in students to, to, to go back to what you were mentioning. And the one thing that I have found is uh, both in myself and with my students, I have I've, I've been contracted to produce two handbooks and, and also a book, uh, the book to be published before the election. And um, and I use ChatGPT a lot. But what, what I find is, say, for a, a chapter, I'm going to write this chapter with the help of, of ChatGPT, and it's never going to give me exactly what I want. Mm -hmm. And so I take it out, I put it into a Google Doc, and I move it back and forth, and I can go bring it back to ChatGPT. It's endless. I mean, it, it, iterations, right? That's what they mm -hmm. call it, iterations. And then five or six, I would tell everybody, it's, it's at least five or six iterations, oftentimes many, many more than that, before mm -hmm. I get something that I say, I'm okay with this. So really, I mean, it's a collaboration. But for some reason, that hooks me, that, that process mm -hmm. hooks me. And what I find with students is it seems to hook them as well once, once they get that idea of don't just take it at face value. The phrase I use that, that, that Holly Clark, do you guys know Holly Clark by any chance? The uh, keynote speaker? Oh, I got somebody for you. Yeah. Awesome. Um, Southern California edu educator, uh, world acclaimed educational keynote speaker, Holly Clark. She, she oh, heard that me Holly say, Clark. Yeah, yeah, Holly sure, Clark. Sure. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm still gonna be like I've no. You were idea. thinking the other I Holly see. Clark, and I, I, I didn't. Sorry, I should have made it clear to these gentlemen. <laughs> but, um, but, but the phrase I use is prompting and pasting is pathetic. I mean, don't think that that's what it's here for. Mm -hmm. Prompt, paste, iterate, mm -hmm. and then go back and forth. Mm -hmm. And it, and it, and there's a motivate. It motivates me. It makes me want to keep working. So I was wondering if it's had the same effect on you guys. You know, I, I think, yeah. I think, so I think part of it is. We were actually talking to a designer about this because I was trying to wrap my head around like the way that chat GPT outputs is that it makes you wait and then it types real fast, right? And so you're kind of like, you're, you're kind of getting hooked, right? You want to see yeah. what it's going to say. And then you, oh, then, oh, that's not quite what I want. You prompt it again. So you kind of get in that loop where I think Bard, I think, I don't know what it's doing now. I haven't looked at it recently, but like it would just like spit out three things at once, yeah. right? And then the hook wasn't there so much. Um, and so I, I I know for me, like like when I'm trying to like write the GPTs or write a prompt, like I get hooked in to, to trying to what I've learned. I'm what I'm doing is I'm writing an algorithm, right? Like that's what programmers do is that you, that you through coding is that you you code and then you see what the output is. And then if it doesn't work, you go back and debug, right? And so um I mean I've been trying to learn Python, so I'm learning about coding. Ooh. Um but so so, I, so when you prompt, you're actually writing a code for the train to, to tell the, the LLM what to do. So you're, and that's just an algorithm, a set of directions. And so I, I get hooked into trying to get the right output. And so it's like an intellectual thing for yeah. me. Yeah. And then the, the GPTs came out and I started writing those because I was like, these are great. But so to, to, this is a long answer to your question. 
I think some kids get hooked into that, that iteration and looping and kind of get sucked in just like you get sucked in on the internet years ago. But I think pretty soon there's going to be a GPT that will do that for you. Mm. Well, that's going to have all the embedded iterations. And then you'll just buy that at the app store for 99 cents. And it's going to be like history GPT or whatever thing. Right. And so like the prompt engineering thing, I, I just don't know how long it's going to last. And mm. Pat's heard me say this before is I've, I've been, in the, I've been playing music since I was 14 and I've watched the technology change until you can literally push some buttons on your phone and make a song that is the song for this podcast that took 10 minutes, mm. you know, and I'm just yeah. like, I, I think writing is probably going in that direction where you're just going to like click some buttons and it's going to go whoop and you're going to kind of mix your writing. Well, and I and think that Pat that's... doesn't agree, but this is no, just... I don't. Well, I no, I, I do. And I don't <laughs> let me qualify it because I'm an Amy Lang teacher, uh, but, um, <laughs> but more importantly, um, I, I think that there's going to be room for that. I think there's going to be space for that. I'm just not convinced that that's going to, it's, that's an either or proposition. Um, you know, so okay, for, for me, for me, it's more a matter of, I like starting with chat GPT in certain cases just to kind of see what it'll give me. And, it, and it's fun. I think it's, it's intellectually interesting. And if not, at least for brainstorming, I find it kind of fascinating and it can lead me down some interesting sort of kind of rabbit holes, if you will, or just directions. But at the end of the day, when it comes to, you know, whether it's a, an essay or whether it's a poem or what have you, um, I just like writing my own stuff. And, and part of that might be by virtue of just, you know, that I was, I was born and raised in a world where this wasn't a thing. And I've just kind of cultivated that process for myself. And that's what I prefer. But um, so it might be that. But but I think for me, it's a matter of I think that there are enough people out there who ultimately just want to be able to um, kind of better establish their own sense of voice. And so while, yes, there might be programs that you can click, you know, and, and press something and it'll create something. And that can be awesome and great in its own right. I think there are going to be just as many people. Well, I'm not just I'm not going to take numbers, but like there will be an audience. Right who will want to just say, well, that's all fine and well, but I'm just still going to do it this other way. You know, I think it's no different um, to draw parallels between like, say, um, you know, perhaps people who uh, prefer uh, listening to books on audio or reading the actual physical book, right? Or somebody who likes to listen to vinyl as opposed to a CD or, you know, their, their, their iTunes, uh, you know, their earbuds, whatever. Or playing drums or making um, beats. Yeah, I think that yeah. there's, I think that yeah. both can be true, and I'm right. and I'm fine with that. I don't mind that so much, but it does complicate our job as teachers, unless mm -hmm. of course I think we always come back to like, well, here what we're doing here is we're we're talking about process, and and we can determine or set parameters for what that process is going to look like in this context, in this particular space, and understand it might change in a different classroom in a different year with a different teacher. That's all fine and well. But I think that's where the te or teachers are going to have to figure out what's going to make sense, or, or maybe, I guess, departments, um, what's going to make sense for them. Um, because I think there's space for all of it. Um, but um, but I, I imagine some, some guidelines or guardrails will have to be put in place. It can't just be like a free-for-all. Um, that's not going to fly either. But I think there might be some sort of middle ground or at least an, an acknowledgement of like, well, if you're going to do an assignment, you know, maybe you take the Pearson approach and you start, you, you play with these buttons and you boom, 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 and you create whatever, and then maybe take a different approach to say, you know what, I'm going to go more old school with this and here's how I'm going to generate it. Yeah, um, you do digital writing or you do clay. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. So, digital photography or yeah. like film photography, right? Yeah, yeah. College Board tried to create that kind of middle ground in the AP seminar and the AP African American Studies this year. That's the committee that I was on. Mm -hmm. um, 
my position was a little bit more extreme, right? And, and I knew they were going to back up. That's okay. Um, this year, first year out, uh, it only goes so far that you can use the AI. And the, the, the teacher, if you will, is, is, is the, the gatekeeper. Um, mm-hmm. With teachers having some flexibility into how they're interpreting the, these, these rules. What will happen next year is a very interesting question. Um, you, if you're going to crack the door open in AP Lang, excuse me, in AP seminar, in AP African American studies, um, are we going to go into next year and, and not have it cracked open in any other classes? Right. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, certainly that's not something that that I'm calling for. And and if we're going to crack it open in other classes, you know, what might what might that look like? And I'm I'm I mean, to go back to my my story of the the uh, effect of the Spanish uh, mission system on the Native Americans on Catalina Island. I mean, uh, imagine a history class, and there's some some carryover here to to the Lang and the Lit class. Uh, imagine if if the College Board comes out at the beginning of the year and it says, "Hey, you know, we we've got three different things, four or five different topics that you can write on. And this is one of them, and we're looking at." you know, 15 page, 20 page, I don't know, give me some number, it doesn't matter, paper, research paper, traditional research paper. And uh, you, you produce the paper. I, I, we don't even need College Board. Imagine if I just were to do that in my own class mm-hmm. and, and then question the students on the paper at the end, question them to see the extent to which they can answer those logically anticipatable questions and score that predominantly that then will sound correct me if i'm wrong uh similar to what you might find when you're defending a dissertation exactly that's very much yes Mm -hmm. yeah there's the there's just always the time factor thing right like they Mm -hmm. do this big well it may not be a big process if you can if you can leverage ai like the the process of creating the production of the text can go very fast Now, but the the thing is, is when you produce a text and you have to write it, you tend to know it, mm-hmm. right? So then, if you're if you're leveraging all the tools to put stuff together, then yeah. So like, can you answer the questions at the end? And it's it's almost like I was thinking about this even with the satire thing, like the questions where I'm asking kids, like, tell me what you learned. You could probably have GPT create something that would sound reasonable about what you learned. So you're, you're back to that same problem as like, how how do I know exactly what you know? Mm-hmm. You know. You're- yeah. And imagine an AI where that could be done orally with mm-hmm. uh, where, where, where the AI is asking those questions and based on the student's answer is able to kick it up a notch or not. I mean, right. in, in the hypothetical, these cannot be far down the road. I mean, right. we're here already now. But, you, but it's interesting because you mentioned orally. I mean, and then you run into issues of like students who maybe have been acculturated to speak uh you know in 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 ways that are maybe a little bit more sophisticated right than others yeah. and then you still and then you're gonna have you know equity issues there now i'm not saying i don't know what you do about that but um because we obviously have pro- plenty of spaces where uh there are massive inequities going on it seems to me that ai doesn't necessarily um create those problems it just exacerbates them the existence that are there and i think that's an important point to to acknowledge like to what extent is that okay or not okay um especially the public school system you know in high school i mean it almost sounds unbelievable the the comfort level i have here now but i suffered from major social phobia 
and and the idea of coming on a camera like this that cameras in particular they there was just something about that mm. um today there's not even a double clutching for a second but I, I taught psych for 25 years and i now know you know that that there's a legit a certain number of the population that has a legitimate fear of this sort of thing um but these are all things still to be worked out i think mm. what bottom line i think what we're looking at though is uh, less of an emphasis on the product itself, let, let less assessment on the product itself, and, mm -hmm. and more on uh, assessing students' ability to defend or answer questions about. Can I ask you a question? Produce. Maybe take things in a totally different direction. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that either of you might remember what it was that we talked about. <laughs> but I, we had this uh, one of the questions I was thinking about is last time we talked, uh, kind of you know, a week or so ago, civil discourse came up. Mm. And I, I think, Peter, that you'd mentioned that there was something that you'd been doing in your class in around civil discourse that looked yeah. really interesting to me. And I I, I kind of want to get back to that if you recall. January 6th, how I teach January was, yeah. 6th. And, and I'm just kind of fascinated by what went on there and not what went on yeah. January 6th. I think I know. But uh, but like, what, how did that kind of play out or, or what happened in your classroom as a result of yeah. that? How did you kind of adjust lessons? And, and what does that sentence say about civil discourse AI's place with it or, or you know, um, or role in, in, in civil discourse. I'm just kind of fascinated by that, that as a topic. Uh, well, one of the major news publications reached out to me recently. They wanted to know how I was planning to teach what happened on the Capitol steps. And the reason they did that is because a day after what happened on the Capitol steps, uh, I decided to blog on how I'm going to teach this thing. <laughs> and 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 they had read that, and so the answer was that I want to simply share with the students some resource that explain what happened as best I can. Here, here's what happened, and then because it's a history class, uh, and and it takes place in January, is say, look, we've already covered something called Bacon's Rebellion or Shays' Rebellion, and we've looked at this insurrection and that revolt. Historians attach words to describe these events. So, mm -hmm. what word, if you're a historian, would you attach to this? Is it an insurrection? Is it a rebellion? Is it a revolt? My goodness gracious, we we we, we declare this thing the Boston Tea Party. Why was it not the Boston Tea Revolt or insurrection or riot mm -hmm. or whatever word you want? Mm -hmm. These words conjure up something, and, and so that was the exercise. And and uh, and I wrote about that. And and revealed that you know forty percent of my students that last year and certainly next year and again this year because I just did it they they just don't want to venture into a discussion of that they they're really reluctant to mm -hmm. to say anything I I given the opportunity I I have no opinion or I decline to state you know one or the other I don't know or I decline to state in my government class this year because of AI I kicked it up a notch and I I had the ChatGPT produced for me. Uh, a pardon, a presidential pardon, you know, write up for me a presidential pardon and, and give me two or three reasons, you know, why you're partying. Not that a president has to do that, but I wanted it. And, and so out comes this very official looking document. And, and I put it in front of the kids and I say, all right, if, if you were president, if you were president, would you sign this thing? Would you sign this thing? And then again, with AI, once that's done, um, let's now go to this new platform that now is a year old called class companion instant feedback on your writing the, the one that you'd mentioned that i'm associated with so that's all out there i'm an actual employee of class companion i, I run their, their their community outreach 
I'm their community outreach manager, but let's go to class companion. And now you're going to write an essay um, that's going to be scored with the rubric that I've put in there. And the essay is going to be this response to this question about, uh, you know, whether or not a president should pardon, what is a pardon? Can you name a few famous pardons? You know, I want you to write about that. And the, the AI is going to provide instant feedback on that essay, 30, 30, 30, 40 minutes, something like that in class. But so that's to answer your question, how I do it. Mm -hmm. um, in the meantime, I've asked large groups of teachers what they're doing and what I've learned. And it's really interesting. About 40%, maybe even more than that, of, of the teachers that I've heard from, they're not going to teach it. You know, they, they, the best they're going to do is say, um, uh, incidentally, I'll bring it up incidentally, mm -hmm. which I'm not even sure what that means. D to be clear, you're saying they're not going to teach AI or January 6th. What happened on uh, on the Capitol steps? Yeah. Got it. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they're they're going to leave that alone. And uh, I will also share with you that that um, what according to the the most recent um, Walton Family Trust survey, uh, Walton Family does really good work on this. It's only about 60% of all teachers who are using AI for class-related purpose. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm not, not with any intent to throw anybody under the bus, but uh, I think there are only two teachers at my school right now that are openly saying that mm -hmm. they're using AI and, and you're talking to one of them. Yeah, so, right. yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I know we have a, we have a colleague who um, and, and, and I'm going to keep it really brief because I don't want to speak for him. It's just things that I've heard, heard that he's used it for uh, or used AI to help students kind of generate letters to Congress people, mm. which I thought was a, a novel sort of approach. They had to rework it and revise what have you, but I thought that was kind of a clever way to, to kind of yeah. lean on that, that uh, you know, how, like what was the format? How do you kind of cultivate your message so it sounds you know, sophisticated or at least informed uh, and, and intelligible? Um, and I thought that was kind of a clever way to uh, kind of develop a sense of, um, uh, I guess, civic duty, if you will, mm -hmm. um, via via AI. But you know, I was thinking with with the the presidential pardon output <clears throat> output for that prompt, and I was I'm thinking about like you know the kids kind of seeing that and looking at it, and it looks very official. It sounds official, right? <clears throat> um, and I was thinking about. How the, the kids today are, are are more more so in a world where you don't know you don't know what the facts are because mm. because you know i was talking to my students this past couple of weeks like videos can now be like really faked like more so than they could be in the day photographs images easy stories matter of fact i think i think now on google it's 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 and it's it's way it indexes like some of the images it brings up are real people are ai generated ones because it indexes through popularity, you know, and, and click and links to it. And so, so that means that the, the inform, like the source we go to, to find out information might now be pulling up corrupted information, which puts them in a real, I mean, if you're, if you're a kid and even an adult right now, like you, you don't even know if you don't know. Mm. Right. And so I think that the, the pardon is like a, another, another example of like, we can create something that looks really official really fast mm -hmm. and then now how quickly can it be disseminated mm -hmm. so i mean what, what's your take on uh, i guess i'm thinking about like to what extent do we have to kind of is it necessary for kids to use these tools to know what they can do so they know what they're looking at sorry what 
In other words, like do yeah. they have to they have to understand these systems well enough so they can be skeptical. Oh my gosh, tough question. I mean, I, I, if I were growing up today, I'd be skeptical of everything and everyone. I mean, how how do you trust anything today? I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a great question. Well, that seems to get into the just kind of. I guess I'm thinking philosophically in the terms of like, how do you teach that? But then also it's one thing to be skeptical, but then how do you help temper it? So students don't become cynical. That's uh, right. Yeah. You know, and, and cause I think that's, that's essential. I mean, I think that I've been through my own cynical years before, but you know, I, I think that's kind of an easy way out. I think that it's, it's not, uh, I, I think anybody can be cynical. I don't think that, I think it's kind of lazy at the end of the day. Um, and I'm saying that as somebody who I think used to be pretty cynical about things, but uh, and I think it allows people to kind of just get off the hook, so to speak. It's like, no, let's engage and try to make sense of it and realize that things are just complex and, and hard. And that's just how that's just kind of deal with life. Um, but uh, but you could be skeptical, but still have kind of either either faith or trust in either certain you know people close to you or uh, humanity at large. Or I don't know, or, you know, the sun's going to come up tomorrow kind of thing. <laughs> I mean, there are ways you can still kind of, you know, I think temper that. but. I want to ask the two of you a question here. It's it's not directly related to AI, but it is mm -hmm. to to this question of teaching civil discourse or or how do you teach controversial topics? As as a Lang and a lit teacher, do you share your politics, your personal views on? on I mean, they, periodically, I'm sure it comes up, doesn't it? And and then you do you? I'm sure you ask your students, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Do you ever share your own views? Uh, my, I, I'll absolutely answer that. I'm happy to go for it, Pat. If Mike wants, I was going to see if you want to go first, but no, um, I went first last well, time. Yeah, you know, fair <laughs> enough. I, I know there are definitely some teachers in our building that that are very open about that. Um, mm -hmm. To me, and and I'm conflicted because as a public school teacher, I don't think it's my place to necessarily profess my views. It's not. It, it, I, I'm in a. I think we're in a unique position where, um, you know, my I, I I guess I take seriously my job is not for them to. Um, know or particularly care what my personal views are, but to just learn how how to think. And so for years, I've always kind of taken the tact. It's like, you know, I I don't I don't necessarily care too much about what you think. I just want to know how you think and how you get to where you're going with your thoughts and how do we kind of cultivate that sensibility. But when it comes to controversial issues, because I'm not, I don't shy away from them. Um, you know, I, I went, my, a book that I've taught for years, with the exception of this semester, for whatever reason, actually mainly time. Um, I love, uh, I've always loved the autobiography of Malcolm X. Um, and so you're dealing with a whole slew of issues and not just race, right? But there's class, right? There's religion. There's a whole bunch of stuff going on there. Um, and what I found is really helpful is to, to approach difficult topics, whether it's that or say like LGBTQ issues uh, these days, which is another you know, uh, realm that I like to kind of jump into, if only because I want students to recognize, and I, and I want to reinforce too, that I recognize that, that we all have blind spots. That we all have limitations, and, and I'll help illustrate that for them in a variety of different sort of contexts and ways. So, like a simple way would be to use, you know, any sort of kind of visual illusion that you can find. Um, so, a, a one that I've used for for years. This is this great guy. Actually, I think you get a kick out of him. Um, there's this conceptual artist up in Seattle, named Chris Jordan, and there's this activity where I'll have students uh, half the class leave the classroom or stand in the hall for a short time, and I'll have an image up on the screen, and it'll look like uh, the one that I picked from his, because uh, he does all this cool artwork, um, is it, it'll be, it'll look like the moon, right? And I'll have students write down all the details they can, and they'll go ahead and just jot that down. I'll say, okay, now tell me what you just saw, and they'll, they'll tell me. And I'm like, got it. And so I'll write it down. 
And then, and then I'll have the two groups switch. And so the group on the inside will go outside and the outside group will come inside and I will change the picture and it'll be a different image. And in this case, this particular uh, image, it's a, it looks like a bunch of credit cards with all these kind of, you know, kind of other sort of colors and what have you in there. And then I'll have them all, and I'll, of course, ask them, well, what do you guys see? I'll write it all down and I'll have them come back in. And then I'll have the students, uh, you know, kind of swap notes and I'll say, well, what's interesting is you guys actually both saw the same thing. And they're like, what are you talking about? And, and it's really just a lesson on perspective because what Chris Jordan has done is if you look at his website, I think it's just chrisjordan.com or something, but he's got two series. One's, they're, they're both called like running the numbers and there's like one and two. But if you click on the image, it'll, it'll zoom in and it'll zoom out. And so what that's helping students understand is you can look at things from a very kind of limited point of view and that's fine. And there's going to be a certain level of truth to that. But if you zoom out, you're going to have a whole different sense of reality and both are important. And it's not that um, one is necessarily better or more important or, or greater than the other. It's just that they're, you're coming at it from different angles and they both have some amount of value. The question is, what do you do once you have that all information? Now, what do you think? And so, you know, whether you're looking at something visual like that, or if you're looking at political opinion, or you're looking at, you know, your ideas on God or whatever, like that's all that we're trying to get you to do is to think critically about like, what, what's the information? What's the evidence before you? And do, are there any limits here to what you're thinking about, right? And 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 so I open it from from that perspective because if you're talking about say gen, the gender spectrum, some students are going to be very firm as like it's it's either male female, right? And others are going to say, well, I think it's a little more complicated than that. And I'm like, okay, well, here's what science is saying these days, right? It's more nuanced, and so I and that just allows them to say, you know, I'm not asking you to have a quote right answer. I don't even know what that necessarily means. But I want you to start thinking about how complex and challenging these things are. And let's just kind of give each other some space to kind of like, you know, put an idea out there and see if it sticks. And if it doesn't, then you adjust it. No big deal. Um, and so there's more to it than that. But those and so I bring in resources about perspective a lot um, and blind spots and, and, and kind of use that as a foundation. Say this is just being human. Right. This is just something that we do for life. Right. So whether you you know, have a position now and it changes 10 years down the road, OK, yeah, yeah. whatever. You know, and, and whether we agree or not, that's kind of not even the point. It doesn't even really matter if we agree or not. Um, because that'll help us kind of challenge our own kind of perceptions and, and maybe help us grow a little bit. Well, and, and having said that, I, I really should, um, I have a good friend who says, you know, be careful not to sound like a cheerleader for AI. And, and uh, hopefully there are no cheerleaders listening and take offense to that. But, um, <clears throat> but always say, and, and it's really true because it's in my brain, it's always true. This is what I think and this is what I believe when it comes to this topic right now right mm. now okay uh there are certain things that have, have held consistent you know one is this this need to focus less on the product and and, and more about questions related to the product mm -hmm. um but on a number of other levels you know the, the thinking has changed you know what i thought about six months ago um I, i've let go um an entire bit of work for how to prepare students for the ap exam i went down that path and um, I just realized, oh, my goodness gracious, let that go. So <laughs> somebody asked me about it. I say, yeah, I've still got those web, those blog posts up there, but uh, I'm not thrilled about them anymore. Just let them go. You know? Yeah. 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 That's a good lesson, too, just by itself. Like, it was just learning how to let go of stuff that we hold on to. And that's, mm -hmm. that's that means you're growing and changing and evolving yourself. I mean, I, I don't I don't think there's really any much more that we would need to ask of our students. Just just do that. Right. Um, and I, I know you guys wanted to ask me questions, but now I got to ask one more. 
Yeah. <laughs> so so that big Atlantic Monthly article, the the death of of the essay. Do you know which one I'm referencing yeah, here? I, I think I read it a long time. I, I read it like last winter. Um, I did too. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're just. I'm trying to remember exactly what they're. Told. There was a. There is a lot of. I'll just say that that one. That's from the last AI time. Doom essays. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, like you know, I, I think it depends on where you are with um, how much you've kind of played around with AI. Like, because I I know in November of 22 i got hip to chat gpt and started using it and i was like i don't have a job anymore oh, wow. and then then i used it more and more and i was like oh yes i do oh, good. right but and, and and some other people went kind of the same thing as they're like oh my gosh like what am i going to do and now my job has become like kind of reinvigorated because i'm like what do i do with this so um and going back to Pat's point, like there's there's always going to be a reason to have like a, an essay constructed by a human. I mean, it, maybe it'll be like going out for a a nice dinner where you have a little tiny food, you know, in seven courses, you know, because you want that experience. And 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 then you go home and you and you turn on terrible AI generated like action thriller movie with, you know, all that because you know you you want to relax and escape. So you found a place for your teaching as we move into the future. It's it's not the doom and gloom. And Pat, same kind of thing? Or are you saying, oh my I, gosh, the, you the know, clock I, is ticking? Yeah, I, I think that there's, it's definitely challenged. I, I think it's a provocative title. And when I think- hey, well, of, Yes, I agree. I think, yeah. I just, I think about, um, you know, in years past when, <laughs> I'm thinking about that that old song, Video Killed the Radio Star, uh, or, or just anybody saying, oh, radio is dead. It's like, no, it's very much alive. It's just not as pronounced maybe as it was in culture you know, in, in previous generations. And so, you know, I think the essay will endure. The question is like, how does it endure? And in what way or ways do we want to use it? Do we use it differently? Do we um, focus to our point before more on the process and a little bit less in the product, which I think would be probably a welcomed uh, sort of development. But, um, but you know, essays in and themselves, I, I think that I, I've actually had trouble with the way that we teach essays, period. Because I think it's highly limited, and it's I think it's it's specific for it's just a specific kind of essay, and I don't think it necessarily um, lends itself to developing good writers. I think that it's uh, if you look at say any sort of uh, essay on gosh maybe even your blogs I mean those are those are essays right but they're not they're not formulaic right not, not this five paragraph nonsense that that you know are just regurgitated year in and year out um, you know that essays are really just about trying a thought or an idea and running with it and see what see if it holds up or not that's all that it is i don't think that ever goes away because that's what part part of what makes us human is we're like hey i got this thought i'm gonna i'm just gonna put it on the page and see if it seems to stick and if it does great if it doesn't revise it and then what do you do with it you know? and, and and that's i don't think that, that ever will go away so the idea that i think maybe the college essay as it is perceived might go away and that i'm fine with that but i think writing for uh, clarifying your ideas writing for um you know putting ideas just new ideas out there i think is is always going to be relevant regardless of the time period and and it, it might just adjust in terms of how much it's used or leveraged but i think there will always be some amount of space for it um you know as that regards it's kind of like vinyl it's kind of like you know uh you know some of these other sort of i guess things that we find in other fields that maybe we think have gone away it's like no no no, they're still there they're just maybe not as as uh seemingly significant as, as maybe they once were i heard mike say I Correct me if I'm putting words in your mouth that you're feeling reinvigorated. 
Is that yeah? Right? I like having problems to work on. Uh, Pat, are you feeling reinvigorated in your in your teaching? Right, I am for sure. I'm, I'm oh, feeling like yeah, yeah. In fact, I mean, yeah. Mike and I talked about this like a year ago before we even started the podcast. That um, AI, I think, probably saved my career in terms of just wanting to stay in the game because I was oh, getting wow. so, just so ground down, and I'm like, and and it it, it was such a game changer that it shifted. <clears throat> I think just what's even possible, and it's not to say that. I, I don't, I, I'm not a cheerleader in the sense of the be all and end all. I am very cognizant of the problems with it. And I, and we need to talk about those things yeah. and confront them. But at the same time, um, it just opens up so many interesting kind of compelling sort of avenues that I think are really worth discussing, at least mm-hmm. trying to kind of like, you know, think through. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I think education just needs some, some major upgrades just in general. We, we, we've done things in a pretty stale sort of way and it just doesn't connect as well. Some might argue it never connected, but yeah, yeah. But I think that that we AI gives us an opportunity to find new ways to connect with students and help them grow and learn um, as people. And I think that's excellent. Like, what else would you want? That's our whole, whole deal. So, on this score, it sounds like all three of us are on the same page. Yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we haven't we haven't had like a well, no. Last week we kind of had someone that was kind of like not so impressed by AI, but um, or or not so like interested, I guess. Um. With that said, though, Peter, um, I know that that you you work with Class Companion. Do you want to do a quick shout out to them and what what that program does um, before we close out the show? Well, uh, I, I think I, I mentioned somewhat already, but it, it launched about a year ago. It's, it's celebrating its its first year of, of existence uh, next week. And uh, what is what is Class Companion? It's it's uh, helps the teachers assess students' writing by way of instant feedback. Um, that that's the, the big thing, and and students, when you give them an opportunity to respond to whatever questions you want to put up there, uh, they stay engaged, and that's the amazing thing. So for me personally, I'm in a block schedule, and ideally in a block, you know, every 40, 50 minutes or so, uh, you really should not that I do, but you really should try to assess students' content knowledge, and short answer question, uh, put it up there on Class Companion. They'll stay engaged 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 25 minutes. It's a right. powerful tool. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess that's one I've not checked out, but, but I want to. Um, is that free, by the way, Peter, for, for our It is listeners? free. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So we, would we will link that in our, our show notes as usual. Um, and uh, people, educators may want to check out Class Companion. Um, Peter, thanks you so much for coming on the show. Um, there's, there's more I want to talk about. Um, maybe we can have you back at some point. I'd love to. It's, I, I, it's, it's good chatting with you guys. I mean, we, we had a great connection, I thought, uh, when we first met here a week yeah. or so ago. I'd like to continue, sure. Yeah, yeah. so we'll have you back on. Maybe season three. Pat season wants to three. close off season two. Um, I'm, I'm thinking like the name of the show may have to be like, 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 this is what I know now. Yeah, right. <laughs> right? It was yeah, like, right, yeah, with, with that statement you made about like, well, this, this is what I think now, or here's what I what believe I now. right now. Yeah. That is like education and, and AI land, especially. Mm-hmm. So I guess this is, this is what we know now. This mm-hmm. is the Bot Brothers AI for Educators. I'm Mike Pearson. I'm Pat Burns. And uh, if you enjoyed the show, please like it, share it, um, let people know about it. You can contact Pat on Facebook or Bot Brothers on, uh, on Twitter. I'm sure Peter's got a, I think you got a Twitter account too. You can contact him, check out his blog that we'll link. Um, again, share the show. Uh, we love doing it. We love hearing from people. Um, if, you, if you know anyone who wants to come on the show, please have them email us. All right, take it easy.